Before we, we do anything, um, I'm going to ask that you stand with me tonight um, in honor of reading God's Word, and we're just going to pray over tonight, and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. Father God, we, we just love you so much, God, and we, we give you all the honor and all the glory tonight, all the praise, God. We wouldn't be here without you, God, and uh, we're just so excited to hear from you, God. I pray that you would use me, God, that I would be your, your mouthpiece, God, and, and I thank you for the Holy Spirit, that even now, God, that he is partnering with the Word, God, that he's going to Make it come alive in our hearts. Make it come alive in our minds, God, that uh, your word says that it doesn't go forth, God, without accomplishing the things that you have set it to accomplish, God, that it's not barren, that it doesn't go out um, without bearing much fruit in our life. So tonight, God, I just ask that you have your way, Holy Spirit, that you have your way in each and every one of our hearts, God, that you just speak to us, God, as only you can, God. We just give you all the glory, all the honor, and we give you our love tonight. In Jesus' most precious name, and everybody said... Amen. All right. So let's jump into the message. Like I said, um, we're going to be talking about raising the bar. And of course, that's just a uh, continuation of uh, our series that's been going on for, for several weeks now. Um, if you've missed any part of it, you, you know you have the ability to get on. Um, if you've got an Apple device, it's as simple as just getting on iTunes, going to the podcast. They're all free. You can go to Church on the Rock North. Um, download every podcast. If you don't have an Apple product, it's as simple as getting onto your computer. You can go to our church website, have access to everything that everybody has said before me. And trust me, it's uh, uh, amazing stuff. I think uh, there's one in particular. You may not be able to get the full scope of it listening to it. Um, I, I remember when Jim came up here and him in the uh, pilot's um, costume, costume uh, dressed as a pilot. Um, but man, just memorable stuff. And, and I, I don't have time tonight. Um, to recap everything, but I will say this. I think this initiative in particular has been um, extremely timely for us, and uh, not just this local body, but really the American Christian today. You know, we um, so often find ourselves complacent um, at a place of, of lukewarmness, and uh, really when you talk about raising the bar, there's nothing that you can't apply that to. Um, you, you can apply that to, to faith. You can apply that to finances. You can apply that to relationships. The possibilities are endless. And uh, so tonight, as we focus on relationships, just understand that there's a lot more to it than just that. And uh, really what we're after is, is raising the bar with our walks with Christ. Amen. Um, so with that, let's turn to our keynote verse. It's going to be Matthew 10, verse 39. Mike's going to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, flip to it, swipe to it, um, any of the above. But uh, if not, Ike's going to throw each of these up on the uh, the big screen for us. So. Um, it says this, and, and I'll tell you this on the surface, you're going to say, Trent, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with relationships, but just bear with me, okay? All right, so in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, it says this, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I, I picked that verse in particular for tonight because I feel like um, there's really no way for us to raise the bar in our own lives if we're not willing to lay something down first. Amen? You know, you can't really find your life uh, particularly concerning Christ, you can't find your life if you don't lay it down. And I think it's it's vastly important that we grasp that at the very beginning. Otherwise, everything else we're going to talk about is really going to be meaningless because if we don't understand that there's... I put it in my notes like this. Um, it, 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 we don't understand that we only find true life when we lay it down. And uh, when we read the Word of God, uh, we understand that, yes, it brings freedom, it brings liberty, 
Um, you know, if you've, you've been going here long, I can't think of, of one verse in particular without hear, hearing Sam's rendition of it. But, you know, the John chapter 8, verse 31, when it talks about the word being truth and that truth setting us free. And, of course, as Sam always says, it's not the truth that sets us free, but it's the truth you, that we know, right? Um, but none of that can happen without something being laid down on the inside first. Because before the word ever brought great truth, it was a great killer in our lives. And that's just by the, the very design and the very nature of it. And so that verse in particular, like I said, it doesn't pertain so, so much excuse me, to relationships as it does to understanding that in this Christian walk, we're going to have many things and many times that we just have to lay something down. Amen? So right now I'm going to kind of go through just really briefly um, a couple verses that I feel like kind of establish um, where our relationships should be at. Uh, more of a foundation. I'm not going to really expound upon them a lot because they kind of speak for themselves. We'll kind of hit each verse and then at the end um, I'll kind of just sum it up a little bit. But And, and Ike, you can just scroll through them one after another for me. Uh, it says this in John 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Um, John 13, 35 says this. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 12, verse 10, be, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with another. Be not proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians three thirteen, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Hebrews three thirteen. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10.24 And let each of us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 1 Peter 3.8 Live in harmony with another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Um, 1 John 3.11 This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Um, like I said, it all kind of says um, the, the really similar things, things that are nothing that's new, nothing that's groundbreaking. We know that we should treat one another with compassion, with love. I'll even throw out another um, verse. It's, it's one of my favorite because we, we always talk about um, John 3.16, but First John 3.16 is, is equally as powerful and good. It says this, um, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. You know, that is what Christ calls us to do as Christ's followers. Um, but for me, you know, reading those verses, I, I think um, we all know what we should do. I think where the struggle is is what we shouldn't do. And that's, for me, where the trap falls. And uh, one of the things that I want to, to bring to attention before we jump in um, to the heart of the message is this. You know, before we can really um, get at what relational ministry is, you know, we all have a sphere of influence. You know, as we go through uh, life, we all have people that we come in contact with. Some of them are similar. Some of us have similar acquaintances, similar friends, but each of us has our own sphere of influence. You know, it's each, it's each defined by our own individual interactions with both Christians and non-Christians alike. But the only way for us to ever really establish that relationship as Christ would have it be is if we look back towards the standard. You know, we have to look back at how Christ related to us if we're ever going to treat anybody Christ-like, Right. Um, and really a couple of things we need to do first. We, we need to look at the, the heart of Christ. And so I want to focus in on uh, this first, and we might have already skipped over it because I, I look like I got a little bit of ahead of myself. But it says this in John chapter 13, verse 14. It says, that, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash another's feet. And uh, I, I think that's so huge and, and so compelling of an illustration. We know that it really happened. It's not so much an illustration as it illustrates um, the importance of having a, a servant's heart um, because that's who Christ was. You know, he, he said this of himself. He came not to be served, but to serve one another, right? And so we can't ever really define relationships, whether it be a relationship with a spouse, a relationship with a friend, a relationship with a brother in Christ, a relationship uh, father and son. We can't define any of those relationships without first looking back at Christ and understanding that he is the definition. He is the standard. He's who we look to. He's the metric um, that we view all of these um, things through. And it's funny. I, I love this I, uh, this quote, and it's kind of a, a non-biblical quote. Um, you've probably heard it on uh, maybe Air One or one of the Christian radio stations before, but I, I think it really hits home. It says that, um, Christ served with the heart of a king, but he rules with the heart of a servant. It's probably one of my favorite non-biblical quotes that I've heard because it's so true to the fact that if we're ever going to have a relationship that's meaningful in Christ, we have to have a servant's heart. Amen? All right, so let's jump quickly, and, and I'm going to try to go through, through these uh, as quickly as I can. Um, but these are kind of three things that I feel like, like I said, I don't so much feel like we have an issue with knowing what to do, we more get ensnared in what not to do when it comes to relationships and building relationships with others. So there's kind of three things that um, I, I, I want to point out that I think can limit our growth and, and limit our ability to partner with one another in ministry, um, to partner with one another in, in building things for the kingdom. And uh, really the first one, I'll be honest with you, is probably one of my biggest pet peeves, but uh, it, it's one of the things I, I struggle with the most. I, I find myself kind of um, falling into in seasons, some seasons I do really good with it and I'm really convicted and, and put focus and emphasis on it. And other seasons I find myself um, just going, man, you know, I, this is me. This is me to a T. And the first one I want to talk about tonight um, is gossip. If you'll, th- yeah, there we go. Hey, gossip. It, it's something very simple, um, very elementary. Um, it, it's, I'm not breaking any news to any of you if I told you you shouldn't be gossiping. And, and what I mean by gossiping is more slandering. Um, that's, you know, talking about someone in a light that's not good and a light that's not encouraging or um, exhorting. Um, you know, if I told you that, that's, that's not something that you wouldn't already know. But I, I think it's something that we struggle with. Um, it, it's something that every body, every local body, and, and really Christ's body on a whole struggle with because we as, as humans, um, we struggle with that, that battle between flesh and spirit. And so we know that we should be going around building each other up, speaking to each other out of love, out of compassion, um, but what we really find ourselves doing, if we're not careful, is getting into a, um, a spirit of criticism. And I, I've seen it um, in friendships, I've seen it in ministry, um, be completely destructive. It is a destructive force if we don't watch it in our lives and we don't keep a close eye on it. So I'm going to uh, quickly go through a couple of verses and then we'll, we'll kind of expound upon them. Proverbs 16:28 says this, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. Uh, Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You know, it's, it, those are strong words there. Um, James devoted an entire chapter to controlling the tongue because he knew how important it was that when, he, you know, he even went to the, the length of saying death and life are in the power of the tongue. And he knew how important it was that when we begin to speak and talk about one another and in our interactions with one another, if we're not exhorting, we just need to be quiet. That's just the extent of it. Um, you know, it says in Proverbs, I didn't put this one in there, maybe I did, but it says even a fool can seem wise when he closes his mouth. Amen. Um, let's see, Titus 3, uh, verse 1 um, and 2. 
Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I'm going to read it again because I want to emphasize a couple of things. It says to speak evil of no one. You know, who is that? That's, that's no one. That, that encompasses everybody. There's never a time when it's okay to say something about someone. You know, we hear it as little kids, that old adage, you know, don't say anything if you don't have something nice to say about anybody, but it's true. You know, that's a, a biblical mandate that we're not to speak unless it's out of encouragement, out of compassion, out of love. And uh, you know what I, and I'll tell you what I'm guilty of, and I find myself doing, is I kind of step in into what I think is, is rational conversations. Like, it's okay if it's part true, as long as I'm talking about somebody in truth, that's okay. And I can tell myself it's in love, but as long as it contains like a half-truth, right? Um, but when we're rationalizing things, you know, and I'll pick on, on Donnie because he's in the front row, but, you know, if I'm uh, telling everybody, man, you know, Donnie, I, I can't stand that guy. You know, he comes to church and he, he parks over the line out in the parking spaces and, uh, man, he makes it so difficult for me to get out of my car. You know, that may be true, but it's not encouraging. And when I rationalize that, and we all do it, it's just our flesh and how it works, the nature of it. But when we begin to rationalize that, we're really just telling ourselves rational lies, Right. That's all it is. We're, we're like the snake in the garden. You know, there's, there's a, a bit of truth. There's a thread of truth. And so we grasp hold of that and say, but it's true. It's true. He does these things. So it's okay. But it's not okay. And uh, we'll go on. We'll look at a few more, more verses. But we just got to stop it. Plain and simple. That's it. There, there's not a whole lot to it. Just don't do it. Um, let's see. James 1.19. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Um, you know, swift, swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to speak, what's that mean? Anybody? Hey, shut up. That's, that's it. Just, just shut up. I know that's a little bit crass, um, you know, for, for church talk, but, but that's the truth of it. If you look at the Hebrew, and I actually wrote it out, if you look at the Hebrew, it's sequet or shatak. Pele, if I'm saying that remotely close, sure. <laughs> we'll go with it. Um, but, but what that translates out to is just be quiet, and it's more of an offensive be quiet. So it's like, shut up. And that's what we should do. You know, when you hear me say, man, Donnie, that guy, he just, no, no, shut up. Be quiet. It's not gonna, it's not gonna do anybody any good. I don't, you don't need to go on any further. I know you, you this may feel like you're venting. Just stop. Just stop. Shut up. Um, a few more. Yeah, sorry. I know that, that, that sounds bad. Maybe I shouldn't say shut up in church, but that's, that's the translation, literal translation. So take it for what it's worth. Um, James 4.11, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. You know, I don't, I don't want that. Don't, don't add any added judgment to me. We don't, we don't need that in our lives, right? So let's just, let's just not do it. We won't even go there. Um, moving on, let's see. Uh, next one, I, I said I had three of these. Let's, let's go into uh, number two. Um, one of the, probably the second thing that I feel like, I feel like limits growth, um, particularly concerning relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, and really you could apply this to, to non-Christians as well, um, but is selfishness and, and laziness. Um, and, and most of these things that I'm talking about, I, just so the conviction's not too heavy tonight, I really pick the three things that are most occurrent in my life. Um, so, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it, you know, put it on. I don't know how that goes, but um, anyways, selfishness and laziness. It says this in Acts 20, um, verse 35. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember that the words of the Lord Jesus are this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. It, it, here in America, it's so easy um, to find ourselves in a state of always receiving. You know, there's so many material blessings and 
You know, I, I thank God that we uh, live in a country where we can do this on Wednesday night, where we don't have to fear persecution. We can come in um, without fear of persecution, talk about the Lord, um, gather together. But there's so many good things that we um, take for granted that we just get used to receiving. You know, it's it's like when we we get used to being able to go immediately and pick up food. We get used to going to the uh, the store and get immediate you know, immediate gratification for what we need. And really, that doesn't occur anywhere else on earth but here. And I think for us, it's a particular challenge to not fall in. And I combine them, selfishness and laziness, because I think they're one and the same. You know, if you're lazy, you're being selfish. You're being selfish with your time. Um, you're being selfish with what you deem as um, you know, more important to you. And, uh, you know, as I was jotting these things down, I, I couldn't help but ask, you know, what would our church look like if there was less selfishness um, and laziness? You know, what would it look like Sunday morning if each of us had church before we ever came to church? You know, what, what would that look like? Because that's what we're called to do. Um, I, you know, we can make that, that scriptural argument very, very easily that we're called to intimacy. We're called, called to give our first fruits, um, and time and labor and, and finances. But what would that look like if every Sunday morning, each and us individually woke up early in the morning, spent time with Jesus, read our Bible, praised the Lord, you know, sang songs of praise, and then we came and arrived early to church, ready to interact with one another, ready to fellowship, ready to let the iron sharpening, sharpening of iron happen, and then we step into praise and worship. You know, it, it's something that, it, it's funny, as we were, we were talking about this Raising the Bar initiative, one of the, the many things that came up um, was timeliness. And, and honestly, we can, raise, raise your hand if you've ever been late to church, just so we, we all feel, I, I see everybody's hand but Jeremy, um, and I believe it too. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've all been late to church. It happens. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the day that, you know, you had a flat tire um, or that, you know, your, your child was sick. I'm not talking about that. I'm more talking about a pattern of, of untimeliness where really what we're saying with our time, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm very guilty of this, definitely in seasons of um, not showing up on time. And what we're saying is, is my time is more valuable than yours. And it's not so much that the offense is directly towards one another. It's not like it's, I'm directly offending Donnie, but in truth, what we're saying is we don't value the, the corporate worship, um, you know, as, as God values it, as, as God deems it necessary. So, you know, what I want to challenge you guys, and like I said, I, I jotted these things down with, with myself first um, in mind, is, you know, what would it look like if this Sunday everybody showed up on time ready to worship? Um, you know, church is about more than just hearing the pastor speak, and in fact, I can guarantee you, if we all showed up collectively ready to worship, you would get twice as much out of his word, being in a heart of worship and a heart of praise, than you would get never having worship at all. So I'll get off my soapbox and, and we'll, we'll move on. But uh, let's see, a few more verses. Um, James, uh, excuse me, where are we at? Second Corinthians 5.15, um, it says this, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him... Um, who for their sake died and was raised. Colossians 3, uh, verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Proverbs twenty thirteen, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Um, plenty of harvest is another way that that reads. You know, when we open our eyes, there's an abundance of harvest. There's an abundance of opportunities. We just can't be given over to sleep. Amen. And then the, um, the fourth, and, and actually one more verse, Philippians 2, 3 through 5, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You know, if we could just fully digest that tonight, we could probably just stop right there and, and go home because um, that, that, that sums it up beautifully. Um, one of the last things I wanted to bring up, particularly um, in our relations with, with one another, um, brother to brother, sister to sister, and, and vice versa, um, is, is complaining. And uh, this is one that I, I'll be honest, um, I, I didn't deal a lot with at the beginning of my walk, but I've really found in this season of, of transition um, that I've fallen into a lot. And uh, it's maybe one of the most destructive things to relationships and definitely the most destructive to personal growth is complaining. You know, and, and when I say complaining, I almost immediately think of the children of Israel. It's almost synonymous in my mind. I think about how they were stuck um, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And of course, we know that that was directly related to their lack of faith, that they didn't believe that they could go in and conquer the uh, the promised land, Canaan. Um, but if you look at everything that led up to that, their lack of faith was almost directly correlated to complaining. They spent all their time complaining. You know, God had led them out of Israel. He delivered this incredible victory. I mean, he, I can't even imagine what it looked like to have a sea parted and to be able to walk in it, you know, to see the miracles of God um, in such a, um, a personal an intimate way, but almost immediately they took on this the spirit of complaining, and you know I see it in my life, and it's it's almost when I realize it, you just go, man, that just doesn't taste good. You know, there's nothing about that that's going to lead me closer to the Lord, and there's actually an, a pretty good argument that can be made that you're going to meet a lot of resistance when you take on the heart of the complainer. Um, let's look at a couple of verses, and then we'll expound upon it a little bit more. First um, Peter four uh, nineteen: Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, grumbling, complaining, uh, one and the same. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Proverbs 17.20, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up in the bones. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, that giving of, of thanks is, is so important for us. You know, we come together um, and, and gather together. And, and it's so interesting because almost, I wouldn't say always, but a lot of the times when you walk through the door, you're, you're almost always going to find that woe is me person. And it's not always the same person, but you know, when you walk through and you ask them, man, how's your day going? How's work going? And you get the same old response. You know, it's kind of funny, me and Ross work at the same work and like the, the go-to, uh, I don't know if it's colloquialism, but just saying is, um, living the dream, but we don't really mean that we're living the dream, right? We don't really believe that. It's it's more of a, a sarcasm, and um, you, you hear it all the time. And I just think, what does the Lord think when we say these things? When someone asks you, "Hey, how's your day going?" Whether they mean it genuinely or not, or they just are kind of saying it in passing, you know, what does the Lord think whenever we tell them, "Oh man, you know, works uh, works no good," and uh, man, it was just a long, long day. And he's thinking, I have given you everything. I've given you everything. I've, I've died for you. I've given you everything that you should never want again. And here you are complaining. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm so convicted of that personally. Like I said, it's been a, a very big personal challenge um, of mine at work. I, it's interesting. When you know that you're leaving a job, it's really easy to kind of leave, lose focus. You know, you're in that season of transition. You know, you're transitioning from one season of life to the next. It's so easy to lose focus. But, man, we have got to be um, children who praise their God day in and day out, that we shine light on people in any situation, 
And, and we can't be complainers. No one likes a complainer. That woe is me gets so tired. You know, my wife is, um, I honestly, she, she rarely complains. I, I can tell you I'm the complainer in the family. She's, she's very good about um, being very uplifting most of the time, every now and then. Um, you know, we, we reverse roles, but it's probably like a 70-30 split. Um, but man, I, I know whenever I'm hearing it from her, it's, it's taxing, it's tolling. Like, I, you don't want to partner with someone in ministry when all they do is complain. You know, you're like, just, just go home and, and I'll, I'll do it on my own. You know, we, I, I don't want to partner because we're not partnering together. I'm just listening to you complain and that's not encouraging me to do anything. Um, and, and so, you know, that's one of the things I think, you know, if the shoe fits, um, you know, wear it. Uh, but for me, it's, it's one of the things I've seen a lot of relationships, um, create tension because of complaining. Don't be a complainer. Okay. Amen. Um, one of the last things I kind of want to focus on, you know, most of the things we've been talking about tonight are pertaining to our relationship as believers. Um, but I, I think it's, it's very important that, uh, we view everything through the light of the lost, you know, that we look at the lost, um, with the same heart that the father viewed the lost. Um, it said Jesus, uh, Jesus of himself said that when he, he looked out among the, um, the children, that he looked at them as sheep without a shepherd, you know, he had compassion on them. Um, and so briefly, I just want to dive in at what I, I titled uh, Heart of Anguish. Um, and we'll, we'll start off in Ezekiel um, chapter 36, verse 26. It says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, excuse me, I, um, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I work at a hospital and I can say probably minus maybe two people. Um, I've seen more death in three years than y'all will probably see in your lifetime. Um, and if you'll, you'll go with me just for a second, cause I know that that's a little bit, um, you know, kind of doom and gloom, but if you'll follow me for the sake of the illustration, um, yeah, I'm a nurse. I, I work in uh, the ICU and uh, it's, it's really interesting. Of course, we're in a critical environment. We know that most of the patients that come to us are there for um, a reason, a critical reason. They wouldn't be in the ICU if they didn't need to be in the ICU for the most part. And uh, it's interesting. We have a lot of codes. And if uh, you've ever seen any of the medical shows, I don't know. I don't really watch them myself. But uh, things like, I don't know, ER, Rebecca, what's a Grey's Anatomy, something like that. Um, it, it's always interesting because you see when they call the, the code blue, everybody rushes into the room. And for the most part, that's kind of how it happens. It's kind of a controlled chaos. Um, there's a few things. One thing, this has nothing to do with tonight, but it always irritates me when they have the flat line and people are shocking it. If you're in the medical field, you're just like, they don't ever do that. That's, that's not real. It doesn't make any sense. It means there's no electrical activity, so we're just going to shock them just to shock them. But that's besides the point. Um, for the most part, it's, it's pretty much true. It happens just like that. And I'll tell you, I found something really interesting in myself. Um, pretty early on, most of the time in code situations, the, the younger guys, the ones that are deemed somewhat in shape, get stuck with doing compressions. That's kind of our role. We do a lot of chest compressions. And it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic when you're one of the last people to have your hands on a body that has life in it. Um, I, without being too... Um, you know, like I said, to doom and gloom. It's just a, a really interesting dynamic. You realize how precious life is, um, and, and you kind of are able to take a step back, and it changes your perspective. And I remember the first few times that I ever performed a CPR on a patient that didn't make it. I, I remember it. It just it was kind of a bur- it was burdensome. 
you know, you, you, you see the um, futility of life. You see how fragile it is, and you realize how quickly it can go. Um, and so I found myself, and this was, was years ago, um, as almost a protective mechanism, kind of creating a guard around my heart. You know, I didn't want to fear that, feel that too closely. You know, I don't want to go into work every day and have to put my hands on somebody that's going to die and deal with their grieving family and feel what that, that pain feels like. And uh, if you've ever been in that situation, and most of us have, even if it's, it's maybe your own family, um, you've been in that place where you've grieved um, with the loss of a loved one, and, and, and it doesn't feel good. I mean, that's just the honest truth about it. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, I can tell you Ross could second this. He can just nod in agreement with me. Um, we, we don't really like doing it. We almost get numb to it. This is probably the best way I could describe it. It's, it we have very programmed responses. Um, <laughs> there's actually stages of grief that we're supposed to lead the family in, as if that could actually ever happen, um, which it, it never does. But you become very programmed, very hardened, very callous, and very numb in how you interact, mainly because you just don't want to feel it. And I, I think it's really interesting when we apply that to relationships, and particularly our relationships with the loss, because I think it's something that we do on a fairly regular basis, and we don't even realize it. Um, because Jesus himself, we know that, and we'll, we'll read it here, it's in um, Matthew 9, uh, verse 36. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And you see in that verse, um, he's being very transparent. You know, He had compassion on them, but he was also broken for them. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane that he wept tears of blood. Um, there's so much symbolism involved with that, him covering our sins. But we know that Christ was burdened for us. He was anguished for us. And it's a feeling that, I'll be honest, I don't think we as Christians feel enough. And I'm just being honest with you guys here tonight. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're, at times we're so callous to the fact that our friends and our families are going to hell, um, that it doesn't drive us to the place of prayer. Um, more times or not, it just drives, drives us to ignore it. You know, we turn on the TV, anything we can to just block that out. We, we want to be numb to it because we don't really want to take part in their suffering. We don't want to feel their pain. Um, and, and, am I speaking to anybody tonight? Because that's, that's what I feel like I do all the time. You know, you hear about um, this family that's struggling, um, you know, with this addiction, and you feel about, uh, you, you hear about how uh, sin in some manner or another has brought so much destruction in their life. And it's like when people tell these stories, you're, at some point you go, okay, enough, enough is enough. That's, that's too much. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to feel that too deeply. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like when we do that, we make a very fatal mistake. Because, you know, it, the, throughout Scripture, we see that we're to not only partake um, in the joys of Christ, but also the sufferings of Christ. And I think for us in America, you know, it's, it's hardly ever a, a physical suffering. It's, it's, it's rarely a persecution that happens to our outward bodies. But for the most part, what it is, is it's this type of suffering. It's when sad things happen to people that we're called to be there. We're called to pray for them. We're called to feel what they're feeling. We're called to have the same um, pains, go through the same grief that they're having. Um, and, and particularly um, concerning the lost. You know, we're called to look at our brothers and sisters. And I know each one of you, if I asked you to raise your hand, you know, there's probably a, a very specific individual that comes to your mind tonight that I said, man, do you know anybody that's lost? And it, it almost immediately, and there may be three, four, five, six people that pop in your head, you know, lost family members, uh, you know, lost friends, whatever the, the case may be, that pop into your mind. But the truth is, we don't really want to go down to any depth of anguish. We just want to say, yeah, they're lost. 
I'm going to pray for him, and that's it. Let it be done at that. But what we see in Christ is something that's so much deeper, and he's calling us to share those burdens. In Romans 10, 1, it says this. And this is crazy because if you know the setting of this, this is the Apostle Paul that's writing this. Um, he's writing it to a group of people that ultimately um, he'll give his life for and try to evangelize this region, the region of Rome. Um, it doesn't specifically say it in Scripture, but uh, we know this from, from early church historians and uh, non-biblical historians alike. They both agree on the count that Paul was put to death. He was actually beheaded by the Roman emperor Nero um, in, in, during this time. And so there, in Romans 10, 1, he writes this, and I think it's so, um, so key to the heart of Christ. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And you just see this like bursting out of the Apostle Paul, that this was a man that you know was fully transformed. It says that he was an apostle born out of due season, but man, he saw Christ on the Damascus road, and it changed his life forever. And you just see it in his writing that that was his dying wish, and he knew that. It was prophesied to him that if he went to Rome, that he would be taken away in bonds. They told him he would be led where he did not want to go. And he knew all of this, and he said, you know what, I'm going anyways because it's that important. It's that important, the lost are that important. It's that important for me to bring the gospel to these group of people. And it ultimately cost him his life. And the interesting thing about that is this, that we're all given that same calling each and every day to bear those same burdens each and every day. Now, we may not be called to Rome per se, but we are called to pray for the lost. We are called to feel for the lost, to grieve for the lost. And it's when we begin to do that, that we're pushed to that place of prayer, that place of anguish where moms spend hours on their knees praying for a lost child, where friends spend hours in the closet praying for a lost family member. That is is really the emphasis of where our Christian walk starts. And I know it, it doesn't feel good. Like I said, you know, it, it's the natural um, inclination to want to be calloused and numb to these things. But the truth of it is we'll never begin to function um, in our relationships with one another, we'll never begin to function um, as Christ would have us be if we aren't willing to take on the anguish that there is lost people in this world that are dying and going to hell, and we are there to be, we are to be there to pray for them, there to witness to them, and it changes how we have every interaction in our life. I'll say this, and then um, one more verse, and, and we'll close in prayer. I, I wrote this down, but it says, "When we allow ourselves to be broken and anguished for the loss, it lends perspective." To every portion of our life, every moment becomes more meaningful. Every encounter becomes more more precious, and that is why we take on the heart of anguish. Amen. We'll finish tonight with with Second Timothy, um, chapter three, and it'll be verse one through five. And I think this kind of goes back to the whole raising the bar um, initiative. Uh, and I'll read it first, and then expound upon it, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know, there's, there's one key verse there, um, verse 5, it says they have a form of godliness but it denies, it denies its power. I, I'm telling you, um, I'm not being prophetic when I say that there's the time is upon us and it's going to continue to become more and more evident and more and more clear that there's going to be a, a very much a, a division among Christians and actual Christ followers. And to be a Christ follower, so to flow in power, to flow um, in, in the Holy Spirit, 
we are called to do more. We are, excuse me, um, we are called to do more than just go to church. It's, it's more than that. It's so much bigger than that. You know, we've talked on a couple of things, and, and hopefully it wasn't, you know, um, too personal, but it, it should at the very least be convicting and challenging. When we come to church, it's, it's more than just gathering in this place and just fellowshipping. You know, when Sam's preaching to us, it, there's a sense of urgency about the times. And, I, and I'm telling you that we are living in a time that is calling for urgency. It's calling from urgency in prayer, urgency in how we read the word, urgency at a place of intimacy with our Lord and Savior, that we're to wake up every morning hungry for more of Christ. And people are going to be hungry for power. They're going to be hungry for actual Christ-driven power. But we can't deliver that to them if we don't have intimacy with the Savior first. Amen? Um, that's kind of all I've got tonight. I skipped over a few things, just, just being nervous, but uh, that happens. So um, I'm going to close out in prayer, and, and yeah, that'll be it. Father God, we, we love you so much. Um, God, I just pray that you would take these scripture, these, these verses, God, and just um, bring them to life in us, God every place of, of conviction, um, that you would challenge us, God, that it um, wouldn't be a, a place of insult, God, um, that it wouldn't be a, a place of offense, God, but it would lead us closer to you, God. God, I pray in this local body that you would begin to just stir us, Father, that you would begin to just revive, God, those dead things, God, that you would bring life and breathe life into those dead areas of our heart, God. Jesus, we just love you so much, God. We give you all the honor, all the glory tonight. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, God, that it would protect us as we, we leave this place, God, that it would bring us back together, God, full of, of joy, God, full of, um, full of, of praise, God, of, of what you do for us, God, in our lives. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give Trent a hand. Let him know you love Wow. Thank you, Ike. Well, the Lord is good. You know, there's when people start talking and sharing the Word of God, it stirs my heart, uh, and it and it just ignites things in my life. One of the passages of Scripture, he may have actually read it, but uh, I, I was thinking about Ephesians. Uh, I think it's chapter four. Uh, it's all about relationship. In fact, that last Scripture, all those negative attributes are just relationship killers. I mean, when you think about it, it, sin and all this stuff, it's relationship killers. Uh, and that's what selfishness does. And that's what all those things in first, you know, in the last day, men will be lovers of, of themselves. But I think what Paul said uh, uh, in Ephesians where he said, uh, just forgiving one another, being forgivers. Uh, and that's, that's one of the, the big uh, relationship builders. If you want to if you want to be, you got to be a forgiver. Amen. Uh, in fact, um, Angela's going to have to forgive Trent tonight for mentioning that every once in a while she complains a little bit. So, uh, she's going to have to work that out. And I jest, uh, but, uh, uh, man, we need one another and we can't let the enemy as we talked about even Sunday. And, and I don't know if I didn't realize, uh, Trent was talking about the Sunday I preached on, uh, raising the bar of righteous relationships and man it just what you said stirred uh what i set up and then and how the spirit of god is speaking to us in multifaceted different ways amen turn around and look at somebody and say you're very important to me tell somebody you're really important you're an important patsy you're very important to me we're all hey you're important we're important one we need one another amen well, God is good. Let's stand together and let's pray for, rather than, uh, uh,
you know, becomes uh, callous to the loss, let's pray for the loss tonight. Because I'm telling you, when you get selfish, you forget about other people. When you get in, what one preacher friend of mine inverted eyeballs, all you do is look at yourself. Uh, you're, the world is in trouble when the church starts having inverted eyeballs. Let's pray for lost people. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to those in need. Father, thank you so much for the word of God tonight. Thank you for Trent and his, his openness to us and, and exposing things that, that, that have great, uh, relationship, uh, uh, destructive force in our lives. Lord, we don't want to be complainers. Lord God, we don't want to, we don't want to be the kind of person who limits the spiritual growth and relational growth in the house. And so, Lord, we ask you to cleanse us of any of those things and all of those things, gossip and all that stuff that just comes between us and our brothers. And we we look out beyond ourselves and we pray for lost people. We pray for people that don't know Christ in our workplace. I want you right now, wherever you are uh, and wherever you go every day, just pray for those people you know that are, that uh, if, if you were... Um, you know, it just, do you see no evidence of Christ in their life? Just pray for them right now and lift their names up to God. Lord, I lift up my neighbor to you and I pray, Lord, you would help him, Lord Jesus. Lord, come to a place where he knows you. Give us ways and means into their lives. Give us an inroad to the heart of the lost people. And Lord, let us have that heart of anguish, that heart that is not hard, but Lord, soft and open and ready for you to speak to us and move through us and move to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.